Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Luke, chapter 16. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. I do want to tell you this, and listen to this. I do want to say the topic of divorce and remarriage and saying what the Bible says is not, and I repeat, is not politically correct. Because today it's a cultural norm for people to have divorced at least one time. It's a cultural norm for people to have divorced two times. Liz Taylor, she'd been divorced eight times. Then you would think, Liz, by a clue, if you divorce eight times, ain't nothing wrong with the men that you've been marrying. Something wrong with you. Well, every man I marry, there's just something wrong with him, something wrong with him. No, ain't nothing wrong with them. Something wrong with you. No matter where you go, you're always there. Some of y'all get that on the way home. Some of y- y'all like, hmm, no matter where you go, you're always there. What does that mean? How <laughs> you like that? <laughs> but it's a cultural norm for people to have at least divorce. And even in the church, saints, listen, this is criminal. Even in the church, the divorce rate is the same in the world. But listen, just because it's a cultural norm does not mean it's acceptable to God. Somebody clap your hands like you believe it and you know what I'm saying. And God has, does, and always will hate divorce. And don't get it twisted. God doesn't hate divorced people. He hates divorce. Can I say that again in case you were asleep? God doesn't hate divorced people. He hates divorce. And the reason he hates divorce is because God knows what divorce will do to you. God hates divorce because God knows what divorce will do to your family. God hates divorce because he knows what divorce will do to your friends and to your children. And God knows what divorce will do if you get married, what divorce will do to your new marriage partner. Uh Uh-huh. You take all that old baggage from, because you didn't learn anything from the previous marriage. And you take all that old baggage from the previous marriage and you got divorced over stupid stuff. I've been a pastor for a long time and people get married over or get divorced over irreconcilable differences. Will somebody please tell me what that is? Irreconcilable differences. What is that? Oh, well, he he keeps leaving the toilet seat up and we just can't really get along. We just can't get along. Listen, I am happy to say, honestly, that I've been married to the same woman, one wife, for 27 years. My wife, I'm going to wait while you clap your hands. I'm, I'm excited about that. Hallelujah. And my wife has been married twice. She has, Rodney. Yep. 
Or first, some of y'all are like, man, Rodney, this is going south. My wife, <laughs> my wife's been married twice. Her first husband was killed in a car accident when she was 26 years old. And that's been like 35 years ago now. And uh, so, and, and I'm her second husband. And it's interesting because he was in the Navy. I don't know if I told you this, but he was in the Navy and he was a dental tech. And I'm was in the Navy, and I was a hospital corpsman, so she married two guys exactly the same, and uh, except he was like 6'4 and about two, 280 pounds, and, and, uh, but other than that, we were exactly the same. And uh, <laughs> he was a lovely guy who loved the Lord with all his heart, and me too. And uh, so, you know, but, but, but I told my wife, I said, look, it's okay for you to love another man. I told her this. Sweetheart, it's okay for you to love another man as long as his name is Jesus and not Jesus. Amen. If his name is Jesus, the pool guy, we got a problem, okay? But the church, divorce hurts relationships. Divorce hurts your children. Think about your children. You know, people say, oh, well, kids are resilient. They're resilient. They'll get over it. Listen, They're not as resilient. That's exactly right. They're not as resilient as you think they are. And listen, if you are or have been divorced and have children, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you know what I'm talking about. It hurts the children. And no, you won't see it when they're five years old. And you might not see it because they will survive because God has put in us this mechanism called survival, that, that we, we will survive. We will get along. We will do what we have to do to maintain our sanity and to maintain emotional stability. Your children will get along, but get over it and resilient? Nope. And oftentimes you see it, you see that, that acting out behavior when they're 13, 14, 15 in their teens, they wind up resenting. It does hurt everyone and everything that surrounds you. Don't get a divorce. Stay with your spouse. Pray for them. If they don't know the Lord, pray for them. Be a godly example. Listen, we are the church. And as the church, we are supposed to be a witness to the world. Can somebody say amen? We're supposed to be a witness to the world. And what happens, listen to me, what happens to our witness if we divorce like the world divorces? What happens to our witness? At the same time, we sing songs, our God is an awesome God. He reigns from a God can do whatever. We sing songs about the greatness and the glory of God and how God is all powerful. But we don't apply and allow God to be powerful in our marriage. And then what happens is the world sees that and they say, well, yeah, they sing about an awesome God, but they don't believe it. They sing about a powerful God, but he must not be powerful enough to keep your marriage together. And the Bible says that our marriages are a picture of Christ in the church. And Jesus never divorced the church. And God doesn't want us to divorce the church. It's hurting us. It's hurting our family. It's hurting our children. There was a doctor, a Harvard medical doctor who said this. I have it on your screen. I thought it was so important. He said this, the major cause of emotional problem and destruction to the American family is by far divorce. The trend toward quick and easy divorce and the ever-increasing divorce rate subjects children to physical and emotional pain. 
If this trend does not reverse, the quality of family life will continue to deteriorate and producing a society with a higher incident of mental illness than ever before. That is so true. And listen, if you've already gotten a divorce or maybe you are in the midst, you've gotten divorce papers and you're in the midst of divorce right now, please understand something. God is gracious. Amen, saints. God is faithful. Amen, saints. God is forgiving. Amen, saints. And God will forgive you. But just because God will forgive you doesn't mean you need to walk away from the marriage because you know that God will forgive you. I've had people tell me that. Well, God will forgive me, but I just can't do this anymore. God will forgive me. Well, yeah, God will forgive you. God is merciful and God is gracious. And if you already had a divorce, God loves you and God forgives you. If you ask him to, God loves you and God forgives you. But when you go into that next marriage, do not, do not, do not, do not go into that next marriage thinking if the Lord were to arrange that or, or allow that, don't go into that marriage with, with that same mentality that you had in the previous marriage. You go into that marriage, when you say, till death do us part, can somebody please do a brother a favor and mean it? We say, till death do us part, but nobody really believes it. We say, until you do something I don't like, do us part. Uh-huh. And I'm amazed by that, because it's like, you know, when, you, when you're in the dating phase, you're like, oh, oh, he's so cute. Oh, you, I mean, honestly, you know, you talk about this to a couple who's not been married, and they look at you like you got six heads. They're not married yet, but they're going to get married. They're looking like, oh, this could never happen to me. This could never happen to me. Oh, he's so cute. I can't stand it. Look at this cute little nose. I, yeah, I got to marry him. Oh, she's so fine. Oh, she's a PYT. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, I got to marry her. See, we, 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 don't, we don't think it's possible. But then when we get into marriage, what happens till death do us part? Till death do us part in the Greek language means till death do us part. Till you die, you stay with that individual. Well, that's enough. I got to move on. Look, I want to talk about hell. Look at, look at, look at. I can't wait to talk about hell. Look at Luke chapter 16. Look at verse 19. If you're looking at it, say I'm looking at it. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously. I love that word sumptuously. Doesn't it sound like a grand word? He fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named, what was his name, saints? And he was full of sores, who was laid at his gate and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar, he died. And he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died, and he was buried. And being in torments in Haiti, you're going to see the word torment four times in this text. And being in torment in hell, he lifted up his eyes, and he saw Abraham afar off. Are you getting it? He saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham says, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides, in verse 26, are you looking at it? Besides all this, between us and you, there is a great goal fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot and nor can those from there 
from there passed to us. And then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and they have the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded. The one rise from the dead. Stop right there, saints. There was a rich man who wore purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously. That literally means that he ate whatever he wanted every day. This guy was rich. He probably was on TV. He probably was on MTV Cribs. See, y'all didn't know I knew that either, did you? See, I, I told y'all I was cool. He's on MTV Cribs, and he, this guy was he had a flamboyant lifestyle. But there's a beggar who was laid or dropped at his gate, oozing with sores, and the only thing he could eat was the crumbs that fell from the man's table. Now, the interesting thing is, listen, the only thing that separated them was a gate. This word for gate means gate of beauty. It was a thin gate. A thin gate separated them in this world, but a great gulf will separate them in the next. Notice in the contrast here, one flamboyant in his luxury, the other pathetic in his poverty. But there's one thing they both had in common. Anybody know what that is? Death. They both had common in common death. Let me give you some facts about death. You take a note, you write this down. Death is the great equalizer. Did you know that? Death has no respect of persons. Death comes to everyone. It puts everybody on the same plane. Rich people die. Poor people die, black people die, white people die, uh, Americans die, Europeans die, males die, females die, American idols die, so you think you can dance, people die. Everybody's going to die. Death is the great equalizer. You know, somebody once said 100 out of every 100 people die. And some of y'all doing the math, you're like, hmm, what is that? That means everybody's going to die. 100 out of one, every 100 people die. Everybody's going to die. Everybody. I mean, think about that. You know, I have the privilege to go to the hospital when parents have babies. And, and I see little babies. And, you know, I've got a five, six-month-old. Uh, she's growing so quick, I can't keep up with her. I think she's six-month-old. Seven? My grandbaby. How, how old is my grandbaby? Seven months? How you know? All right, seven. She's growing so quick, I can't keep up with her. And, 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 you know, she's so cute. And you hold them and you're like, man, they're so cute. I, I, love, I, I love babies. I love to go to the hospital and the babies and they come out and they're so cute. And, and, you know, you hold that baby and, you know, two things come to my mind. Number one, that baby's a sinner. You know, you know think about it. You come in the world as a sinner. And you should name your kid Sinner. Just say, you know what, we're going to call you Sinner. Because you come in the world center. And someday, who knows when, but that baby will die. Everybody will die. Death is a great equalizer. Number two, death is personal. It will happen to you. It will happen to me. Number three, death is certain. You can put it off. You can maintain your health. 
but you can't avoid it. It will come. Number four, death is surprising. Go to the graveyard and ask how many people expect to die that day. And very few people plan to die. It just happens. Number five, death is not extinction, but it's separation. Adam was separated when he ate the forbidden fruit. In our text, the rich man was buried. Please get this. The rich man was buried and Lazarus was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Is that hits me as like a term of endearment. It's kind of dear. He was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man probably had a great funeral procession and he was buried in the ground. The body of Lazarus was thrown on a trash heap known as the Valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom was where poor people were thrown. It was a continual burning trash heap. His body, are you listening? His body was thrown on a trash heap, but his spirit was carried by an angel into Abraham's bosom. Isn't that awesome? You know why? Because the body's just a tent. Did you hear me? This body, I don't care what kind of shape you in. This body is a tent. It's just a house for the spirit. They threw his body in the trash, but his spirit was carried into Abraham's bosom. Notice in verse 23 through 25, one minute after the rich man died, he was in torment and he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. Verse 24, please look at it. And he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in the cool of the water and touch my tongue, for I am tormented in these flames. Now you can ask 10 different people what they think about hell, and you will get 10 different answers. Isn't it interesting to you, or is it interesting to you, that people are willing to accept the reality of heaven, but they are unwilling to accept the reality of hell? Let me help you. Heaven is a real place and hell is a real place. Taking notes, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 15, Ezekiel chapter 31, verse 16. It tells us that hell is a pit and hell is down beneath the earth. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus tells us that hell is in the heart of the earth. And get this, even scientists verify that hell, or let's say this, that something very, 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 very hot is in the core of the earth. Scientists tell us that the earth is a ball and has a core that is hollow. And that hollow ball is full of flames and fire and brimstone and molten lava at the center of the earth. The temperatures are so hot, they say, that they cannot record it. And this hollow ball is approximately 11 to 16 miles from the floor of the ocean. And every time they measure, this is fascinating, every time they measure this hollow ball in the center of the earth, they say it grows larger and larger. Isaiah, fascinating. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 14 tells us that hell enlarges itself and opens its mouth beyond measure. 
In other words, there's always a construction project going on in hell, widening and making more room for more souls. Hell is a real place. Death is a real thing. You know, there's so many theories out there as to what happens. And that's kind of the unknown, the big question, the million-dollar question. What happens when people die? And there's so many theories out there as to what happens when people die. You know, some people teach that when you die, you go off into nothingness. They teach that when you die, you go off into oblivion or annihilation. You simply pass away and you cease to exist. Your life is like a candle in the wind, they tell you, that goes out, no feeling, no afterlife, no experience, no reaction, no knowledge. And of course, that leads to no hope. It was Ernest Hemingway who said, life is just a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. Wrong, Ernie. Jesus is talking about hell that is forever, not annihilation. Some people teach, listen, that when you die, your soul goes to sleep in the grave, and they call that soul sleep. Anybody ever heard of that? Soul sleep, okay? Only two, three people. Okay, I got to tell you what it means. Soul sleep. First of all, let me tell you this. The Bible doesn't teach that. I think of the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath, whose son died, and Elijah laid on him and prayed for him three times, and the Bible says that his soul came into him. His soul wasn't in his body sleeping. His soul was somewhere else. And his soul came into him. So nope, I'm not buying it. Soul sleep. The Catholic Church, is anybody listening? The Catholic Church, is anybody listening? Is anybody listening? Say amen. All right. Y'all need some Java? The Catholic Church teaches that if you had loved ones who were, let's just say in this life, not so saintly, that they would die and they would go to purgatory. And you could speed up their time in purgatory by praying for them and lighting some candles. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that either. Listen, there is no purgatory. When you leave this earth, you will go into the presence of the Lord. There's no purgatory. Some people believe in reincarnation. I'm going to India in just a week or so. Most, I would say 98% of Indian people believe in reincarnation. And that's why you can see cows walking down the street. I've been in India where there were traffic jams because of cows. Because they believe in reincarnation. And perhaps maybe that cow was Uncle Harry or maybe that cow was, you know, Aunt Josie or something. And we can't eat cows. We can't eat beef. They believe in reincarnation. Some people believe in reincarnation. And the Bible doesn't teach that either. And it never ceases to amaze me when someone says that they were reincarnated. Have you ever heard this? Someone says they were reincarnated. In their past life, they were always like a queen. You ever notice that? In their past life, they were always like King Tut. What were you in your past? I was King Tut in my past life. Oh, in my past life, you know, I was, you know, some special person. You know, I was some bullfighter or something in the past life. Nobody ever says in the past life, I was homeless. Nobody ever says, well, in my past life, you know, I slept under a bridge and I was homeless. Nobody ever says in my past life, I was a cow. Nobody ever says in the past life, you know, I work for the government. Nobody, if you, (laughs) if you work for the government, I love you. Jesus loves you too, but you're wrong. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh. 
I'm telling you. But nobody ever says that. You know, we've all heard people, and listen, I say this with, with all the most sensitivity. Please hear me. Please hear me. With the most sensitivity I can. People say that when somebody dies, that they'll say, you know, um, you know, my loved one died, my mother died, my family member died or whatever, and their spirit is always with me. We've heard that. And they'll say, you'll always be with me. And they'll even tell you, you know, I sense their spirit is in the house with me or their spirit is everywhere I go. Listen, their spirit is not with you. When a person dies, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be what, saints? Present with the Lord. I'm going to wait while you clap your hands because that's true, right? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Their spirit is not with you. I say that with all sensitivity, please, and care. Their spirit's not with you. If you're a Christian, the only person that's always with you is Jesus. Amen. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.